And tonight we're going to deal with the third test of our salvation, or what you might call the third assurance of our salvation. The first two came out of chapter one. There was this doctrinal test. You know, what do you believe about Jesus? That's important, isn't it? You remember that he's writing a book to some people who had been under the influence of false teachers. And, and false teachers always start with Jesus, don't they? They always attack there and then run off to other places. You know, well, he was, he's like the son of God, but he was also uh, not exactly God. Well, but that's what the scripture says. So if, if you start chipping away at that, you're missing the, the, the first test. He talks about doctrine. Then he talked about a moral test for us. You know, are you the kind of person who walks around and says, I don't have any sin in my life? You remember he said in, in chapter 1 that if we say we have no sin, we're, we're, we're lying. We're not, we're not part of the family here. And, and that's really important for us because every one of us that comes to Christ, if we didn't admit that we were sinners, we didn't come to Christ. Right? If, if you can't... If you can't kind of get your mind around that, that aspect, we're missing so much of that. And I think that's why we always start with the Romans Road, kind of explaining sin. And you maybe have heard it said this way before, but you have to know that you need a Savior. Which, what, why would you need that? Why, why would you need a Savior? Well, it's because of the sin in our lives. We were talking about that this morning, that Jesus came to redeem us so that we wouldn't be slaves to sin any longer. And there's a song that... I don't know if we've sang it here or where I've heard it because I don't listen to Christian radio as a general rule. Uh, and, and it's not that I'm, you're laughing. Some of you are laughing. I can't take the talking. I, I, I just can't. It's, the, it's that person on the radio who goes, hey. I'm sorry, I just can't take it, you know. The, the, the real reason that I don't listen to Christian radio is I live two miles from the church. I don't ever listen to the radio. I don't have, I'm never in the car. My commute is short, okay. That's why. It may be the talking. It may be the talking. There, there's a thing there. We can talk about it afterwards. But, but, there, but you know, th there's this song that says, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am a child of God. What did that mean? He redeemed me out of that, right? He, he, brought, he bought me. He paid the price and, and bought me out of slavery. So I have to understand that I can't lie about the sin that's in my life. And you would be surprised. We all take it for granted, those of us who are in Christ, we take it for granted that you know, well, everybody knows that they're a sinner. No, they don't. Most people justify their sin by saying things like, well, you know, nobody's perfect. That's not the same thing as saying I'm a sinner who's violated the law of a holy God. Very different, isn't it? If I'm saying nobody's perfect, what I'm saying is, you know, I'm not that bad. I, I'm not in need of a savior exactly because I've never harmed anybody. And that's one of my favorites. I said it this morning, you know, the person that says, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, good for you. But that's not the standard, is it? So when we get to this third test, we're going to see it's an obedience test. So we'll start in chapter 2 and verse 3. And we're only going to read four verses tonight, 3, 4, 5, and 6. But let's read this. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, there's a couple of things that I, I find really important for us to think about as we get to this. He uses this word again, no. And he's actually going to use that word, I think, more than 40 times in this, 
in this book. This, I mean, it's only five chapters, and he's going to say, we know, we know, we know, we know. It, it's over and over again that he's saying these things. And then he says, we know and we keep. And keep he uses more than ten times. And as he's talking about this, what I want to get us to see really quickly is this is beyond the experiential thing of your life. And, and that's an important part of our Christian experience. But this goes beyond that. Now, and what I mean by that is that you certainly have had some experiences that were spiritual in nature in your life. I have too. Nothing wrong with those. The problem with experiential things, if you rely on them too heavily, you're constantly chasing them, right? You're constantly chasing that spiritual high. You want to come to church and you feel like when you leave, you should be on cloud nine every week, but you shouldn't. Sometimes you have to deal with the real issues that the scripture's bringing up that are uncomfortable, right? Sometimes it's like the Lord gets his scalpel out and he starts digging deep in our lives and it's hurt. it hurts, it's painful. But, but there's a thing too that can be problematic for us. When our life has been based on experiences, we're constantly questioning the validity of those experiences. Because we wonder, like, well, well, I was just a child when I was saved, and I remember it, and, and I can remember the feelings. Our church had a center aisle. It wasn't like this church. And, and I was sitting maybe about where Gene uh, and Ann are sitting here, if you want to put it that way, because we always sat on the second row. Nobody sat on the first row back then and only Kathy does now, and that's because I do, I guess. But, but we sat on the second row all, all the time, right, right there. And I remember on a Sunday night feeling overwhelmed with conviction that I was lost and doing nothing about it. White-knuckling the pew, not moving. And I remember my mother leading me to Christ but not telling her that she'd done it on a Saturday night following that, and the next Sunday morning being ready to make my walk down front to tell the pastor, my dad, that I'd give my life to Christ. I mean, th those experiences are burned into my mind. But you get a little bit older and you start having this conversation with yourself. Well, what could a almost nine-year-old, I turned nine just a few weeks after I, I was saved and was baptized a couple days after my birthday, what could a nine-year-old possibly know? Well, not much. I mean, I, I didn't know a lot. I did understand that I was lost and I was going to go to hell if I was not saved. I, I knew that very clearly. I knew that Jesus had died in my place. Very clearly, right? Well, what does it take to be saved? I mean, do, do you have to have a theology degree? Is that, is that the limit? So you start questioning your experiences. And I think John writes this to us, and he's trying to say to you, there's something that you can know, and you can know this like you know a friend. And so he says, by this we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Conditional statement there. We have this assurance of our salvation that we know him if we are able to keep his commandments when we're doing that. And, and so as he begins to say that, he's saying already that this is not a perfect person, but watch verse 4. He says, the one who says, I've come to know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now that seems like he's contradicting himself because in chapter 1, he said, you know, you have to admit that you're a sinner, right? And now he's saying, well, if you sin... Then the, what, what's he saying? Well, well, let's think about it like this. When he's talking about to know and to keep, we're going to get into that word keep in just a minute. But what he's saying is not that you have ever sinned, not that you won't sin after you're a believer. And that's a really important point. One of the things that happens when somebody gets saved, right? And maybe you've seen this. If you've ever worked a vacation Bible school, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
A kid gets saved in our ministry sometime during the year, and at Vacation Bible School, they, they offer an invitation, and that same kid comes forward. And you say, well, you know, I, I saw you get saved. I saw you baptized. What, what's going on? I've sinned. Ah, okay. Well, let's talk about what it means then that I have sinned. How do we deal with that, right? And, and they just don't understand yet, and it's a teaching moment. He's not saying that believers never sin again. If you believe that, that's heresy, right? I mean, you're not going to live perfect until you're in heaven. Nobody's perfect but Jesus. But what is he trying to say to us then? He's saying that we've come to know him when we keep his commandments, when we're living our life in this way. And a person who claims the name of Christ but isn't concerned with keeping the commandments, they don't have any place in in Christ. Now, if, if I could get you to do something, if you would take a big jump back over to the Old Testament, if you don't want to turn there, I'll just read it. But Joshua chapter 1 kind of gives us in my mind, something that that will help us to understand this because it's very similar in what God said to Joshua and what he said to Moses and through Moses to the people all the time. And and you may be familiar with some of this passage because we preached it uh, not so long ago uh, when we did a a sermon series out of Joshua. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, as God is talking to Joshua, he says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You should meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do all that is written in it, according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And he says, I've commanded you again, don't be be afraid, be strong and courageous. Don't tremble, be dismayed, for the Lord your God's with you wherever you go. What was he saying to Joshua? Keeping the commands, understanding the commands, living your life according to the commands is really important to your your salvation, right? It's evidence of that. And so when he's talking about keeping there, it's the same thing that God told Moses and the children of Israel. When you go, you got to keep on this. I've given you these commandments. Well, what commandments would he be talking about then? We could start with the Ten Commandments, couldn't we? Those would be great. No other gods before me. Don't make idols. Honor the Sabbath, right? Honor your parents. Then he starts, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, He goes through all these things. Don't covet. Those are good things for us. They're still applicable for our lives today. And what he's not talking about is somebody who agrees that those things are good. I mean, if I've heard my dad say this from this pulpit, one time I've heard him say it many times. The, The problem that we had in America for so long is that we were really disturbed when the commandments were moved out of the courthouse, but we couldn't find them or live by them in our own lives. Having them on the wall is not the same thing as keeping them, is it? Well, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. There's these things that he tells us to do. We've gone through some of these things, and, and we're going to come back to them. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, we're supposed to start our, our Sermon on the Mount series again, and, and the way that it fell, it, it just made things problematic because Mother's Day is coming very soon, and we were either going to be talking about murder, adultery, or divorce on Mother's Day, and it just didn't feel right, you know? Those are all good things. We're going to start that after Mother's Day, all right? Right? I mean, it's just, it just felt problematic, right? But, but doesn't Jesus talk to us about our relationships? He talks to us about the lust of our heart, the anger in our heart. He, he talks to us about our body causing us to sin if your eye causes you to sin. He, he talks about what it means to fast. He talks about what it means to pray. He goes through all those things, and, and we can keep those things. In fact, he says, you should walk as you saw the Savior walk. 
So this idea of keeping becomes very important. So knowing is the assurance, and how we know that, the evidence of it, that's not experiential, is that we're aiming to do these things. We want to do these things. And he uses this word again that he's fond of using. He says, you need to abide. It's, it's a word I, I've tried to think about any time I've ever used this word outside of church, and I just can't. It's a special word, though, to John because he uses it in his gospel. In John 15, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you'll desire. It will be done for you. So what is he talking about there? He means you need to remain. You need to stay around, right? That's what abide means. If you think about an abode, it's a home. It's the place where you dwell. And he's saying we need to abide with Christ The one who abides in him, he says, ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. So let's think about it like this. It's beyond taking the commandments and putting them on the wall. It's beyond agreeing that the commandments are good things for us to live by. I mean, we can all agree to that and not follow them or practice them. Now, he uses another word here uh, that I think helps us to kind of maybe frame this a little bit. He says we should walk in the same manner. That's a word you might be familiar with if you've studied the book of Ephesians. Several times in the book of Ephesians, he talks about your walk. In the 1990s, that was a thing that was, that was maybe even in the 80s, it was, a very, it was a thing that was very popular for us to talk about was, how is your walk with the Lord? What, what did that mean? Think about Enoch who walked with God. He's a fascinating person in Scripture. Can't you wait to meet him in heaven? All it says is that Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. Poof, gone. That's crazy. He didn't die. That, that's the only thing about Scripture. That's all we know about him, right? He walked, but what did that mean? They, they were in step together. They were journeying together. Where God was going, Enoch was going. He was following along with that. So when we talk about how's your walk, it, it reminds me of the old Christian t-shirt that we had that said, you know, don't talk the talk unless you're walking the walk. It, it's that idea of what you profess to be with your mouth Your actions have to be doing. So we might put it this way. We need to make it our ambition to follow the commandments. That's how we know that we've been saved. We're striving after those things. We want to do those things. This is the thing that is so hard to explain to people who haven't come to Christ yet. Because what they feel like is that Christianity sometimes is just a big list of rules and regulations. Do this, don't do that. Well, if you're on the outside of grace... It would certainly feel that way, wouldn't it? That I don't have any choice but to follow all these rules. But what you find is that once you become a Christ follower and you're making it your ambition to follow after Christ, you realize those things are not you know, like things to keep you from having fun. They're to keep you safe. And that joy is found kind of in the boundaries of living a Christian life. And, and I would just say this, if you're really struggling with something like there's something God's been speaking to you about and you're really struggling with it. A Christian may struggle with it, but a Christian wants to please God. You want to do it. Now, does that mean that you don't struggle to get there sometimes? Well, of course. You're going to have times where, where you're going to have a struggle to obey the Lord. And there's, there's times, I, I know that I have felt this, it's almost like the Holy Spirit leads you up to an edge of a cliff and just says, you're going to follow me or we're not going forward. And I don't know how you feel about it, but sometimes I feel like I'm standing there going, kind of like a a number of years ago, I I ran my big mouth. I was with Jack Wilkerson and Brenda and our kids were together and we were out at um, 
Percy Priest Lake, and I said, Jack, aren't there some cliffs that people jump off around here and this kind of thing? And he was like, oh, yeah. He goes, I'll drive over there and show you to them. And I said, that'd be fun to jump off of them. Well, we got there, and he was like, go ahead. And it didn't seem that bad until I got to the top, right? Have you ever had that experience? Like, big mouth in the water is one thing. Big mouth on top of the cliff is another thing. And you're standing there going, well, Lord, the implications are that if I follow you, it, it's going to cost me something at work. If I stand up and I speak the truth, it's going to cost me something. If I make this decision, even my family may not be happy with me. But what he's saying here is that Christians want to follow the Lord. They want to abide with him. They want to hang around to do these things that he wants to do. And so what he says is that as we do that, we have the proof that we've been perfected by the love of God. And that we know we are in him. Can I tell you something as a, as a believer? One of the scariest places I think that you can be is when you stop feeling conviction. You know, when, when you've just disregarded the conviction of the Holy Spirit so long over a certain matter in your life. Because that's a dangerous spot. When, when you start living in that spot... When you don't hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's all of a sudden that place where you don't know where uh, left is and right is and, and you're not sure where to turn. And what he's saying is when we do the things that God calls us to do, when we follow after him, when we live the way that he wants us to live, what happens is we have assurance. It's a funny thing to not have assurance as a believer. I've lived with that. I don't know... If you, can, if you can even relate to that. Uh, I was talking with my sister about this one day. And we grew up in the same house, I think. And I said, you know, have you struggled with your salvation? Never. What? What do you mean? Never? I grew up with you. You weren't that great. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. And she was like, no, you weren't that great. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, it's that kind of thing. I've struggled with that. How can I know that I'm saved? How can I be be certain of this. And I've watched other people struggle with it. And it's a, it's a funny thing. Uh, I, I was talking with somebody one time, and, and they'd just been really going round and round and round about this. And I, I believe that, that it's true that if you're really struggling with whether you're saved, it probably means you're saved. I've, I've never had a lot of lost people come knock on the door and say, I'm really struggling with whether or not I'm saved. It, it's, a, it's a thing in your life, right, that the Holy Spirit's done something. And I was talking with a friend one time who was just going round and round about this, trying to find peace in his life about this. And, and we were just here by ourselves one day. And I said, I got it. I, I, I got it. Fall on your knees. Confess Jesus as Lord. We're going right to the baptismal pool. I'm going to baptize you, and we're going to be done with it. And he goes, well, I can't do that. And I said, why? He goes, because I was there when I got saved. And I said, exactly, right? I mean, you're saved, right? I mean, that, that's the thing. But it's a tool of the enemy. And so John writes this to people who are being affected by these false teachers. Now let me tell you something that you can watch out for with false teachers. And this was happening in John's day. You've seen it in your lifetime. You may not have caught it though. When people want to be false teachers, they miss this part about obeying the commands themselves. That's, that's a big piece of it. They miss this part about obeying the commands themselves. And so John says, a person who doesn't do this is a liar. Strong word, right? 
And, and he's saying that, that they don't have the truth in them at all. What does he mean, the truth of God? If you want to watch out for a false teacher, watch if what they're teaching is designed to build themselves. That's, that's number one. If what they're teaching is designed to build this cult of personality around themselves, John's saying here, they don't have it in them. Number one. Number two, because they don't keep the commands, here's what you'll find. Anytime you get around false teaching, you'll find a prevalence of sexual immorality. We thought it was bad years ago, didn't we, when we heard about the things that had happened with the Jim Jones thing in Jonestown. But what you realize after that is that there were things going on there that were immoral all along. It was there. Same thing when we talk about, uh, if you're old enough to remember, uh, the Branch Davidian crisis that happened. In, there, were, there were immoral things going on. It's always around it because they're not keeping the commands. And so he's saying to us, watch out for this. Watch the people that are teaching you. And, and make sure that they're living a lifestyle that is in lockstep with the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think about that for us, I think about this idea that the Word of God has spoken. We have the Word of God spoken to us right here. But we also have the benefit and the pleasure of knowing Jesus Christ, His Son. We're not looking forward to it. We get to see His life from the writers. And so we can look back at that, and if we do the things that Jesus did, we're walking in the manner in which He walked. We're keeping... The commands. Jesus kept the commands. He thought they were important. And I would just say to all of us, if you're finding a command that you just kind of want to glance over and kind of get past, you know that that's not going to cut it. That's not God's best for you. God's given us these things to be important in our lives, to hedge us in, to protect us. And when we follow the Lord and live the commands, boy, it's an amazing thing. God begins to give us assurance of our salvation, not based on an experience. You have experiences, and those are great. But based on assurance of the fact that you're abiding, you're staying, hanging around with Jesus, making it your ambition to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just say this to us. The knowledge, the assurance is tied to our obedience. That's what he's saying. As you obey you get more and more assurance. As you make it your ambition, you get more and more assurance. So I don't know if, if this is something that you're struggling with in your life right now, of wondering, like, I'm just not certain if I'm saved. I, I just don't know. But I want you to just remember this. As we've been studying this, this is why this book is written. It, it's so important for us. Because God did the work. And I love the fact that Jesus says in that high priestly prayer, everybody you've given me, I've got. He's holding tight to us, tighter than we can hold to him. That's what he does. And so I hope that your heart is encouraged and assured tonight. And if you're not certain about it, I hope that what you do is just after the service, I'm just going to be hanging around down front. And if you've got any questions about it, I'd love to talk with you about it because there's a joy that is stolen from you by the enemy when you're unsure of your salvation. It's a joy stealer. And you're just wasting time. And you either need to make it right, because uh, sure, maybe you haven't been saved. Maybe you've not been following the commands. Or maybe you just don't have the proper understanding of it. 
And God doesn't want us to live that way. So I'm going to ask you to do something. We're going to bow our heads. I'm going to pray for us. And our team is going to come back. They're going to lead us just in a closing song, one of my favorite songs, Come Thou Fount. And if you need to talk to me afterwards, I'd love to hang around and talk with you as long as we need to. Father, we thank you for your love perfected in us. And we thank you that we can know that we have been saved. And for the struggling believer tonight, I pray that they would know. Father, we want it to be our ambition to follow after you, to walk in the manner in which Jesus walked, and to live these commandments, not just to say that we believe them, but to really live them. And by our obedience, prove again that you've changed our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.